Big Finish presents Doctor Who Short Trips. Hall of the Ten Thousand by Jane Fenn. Read by India Fisher. Well, said Charlie, I don't know much about art. The doctor looked up from the TARDIS controls. But do you know what you like? Actually, I'm not sure I do. When I was at school, we had a day trip to a portrait museum. Walls full of stern old men sitting in dark rooms, staring down disapprovingly. Which I'm guessing you didn't like, he straightened. This is something very different, something rather wonderful, actually. But you won't tell me what it is. What they are would be more accurate, corrected the doctor. Charlie sighed. All right, what they are. What are they? I don't want to spoil the surprise. Doctor, it's pitch dark. Charlie stuck her head out of the TARDIS door, then started. Oh, my goodness! A pale figure in heavy armour loomed in the darkness. It was pointing a huge gun at her. At her shoulder, the doctor said, Don't worry, it's a statue. When her eyes adjusted, Charlie saw the doctor was right. A man in high-tech armour, half-crouched down, pointing a deadly-looking rifle-type thing her way, but not moving and he appeared to be made entirely of gold. Is this it? she asked. The statue was impressive as such things went, but hardly worth a special trip. This is part of it. I'll show you. He shone a torch past her. The light fell on another figure, this one standing guard rather than aiming its weapon. Its armour looked different, more angular. There's another one. She looked back at the doctor. What is this place? somewhere huge if the way her voice echoed was anything to go by. We're in the hold of a converted spaceship in orbit around a planet called Orle. Charlie noticed as they passed another statue, this one aiming its gun upwards, that the statues were divided off from the path, actually a metal walkway, by a red rope. And now this spaceship is... a museum? That didn't seem like quite the right word, but she was used to coming across things with the Doctor for which she didn't have quite the right word. More an installation, said the Doctor. A monumental and inspirational art installation. A work of genius in many ways. They passed a pair of figures in close combat. The one with the more angular armour had a design of interlocking triangles on the shoulder of his suit. The other one's armour showed a bisected circle opposite sides, presumably, literally at each other's throats. I'm not sure I'd call this inspirational. You're right, of course, it's horrible, but that's rather the point. They passed another pair of figures, this time marching side by side. Just how many of these statues are there? she asked. Ten thousand. Charlie jumped at the new voice. The doctor's light illuminated a man standing on the walkway ahead. He was young, but had an air of officiousness, reinforced by his smart blue jumpsuit. One for each second of the war. 
What war? whispered Charlie. But the man was continuing. The hall is closed for the night. I know, said the doctor cheerfully. That's why we're here now, to avoid the crowds. How did you get in? Oh, the doctor gestured vaguely behind him. Private shuttle, back door, you know. I assume you're the caretaker. The night caretaker, yes. And you are? Delighted to have finally made it here, he beamed a smile. In fact, we've come an awfully long way, and I know the artist wants her work appreciated by as many people as possible, so... His smile widened. I'm really hoping you'll let us have a look round. Please, we promise not to touch anything. The man looked dubious, then nodded slowly. All right, I can run the house lights for a while, I suppose. Splendid, thank you. With a last narrow-eyed look, the caretaker turned and walked off. What war, Doctor? Charlie had grown up in the shadow of the Great War. Not that anyone ever spoke about it, which made it worse in some ways. What became known as the Ten Thousand Second War, for obvious reasons. But that's... Charlie attempted some mental arithmetic with limited success. Hardly any time at all for a war. Long enough. The doctor's tone was grim. The lights came up, and suddenly they could see the true scale of the place. The statues stretched away in rows and clusters, shining bright under the overhead lights. And this many soldiers fell in that shorter time. Charlie couldn't keep the dismay out of her voice. This and more, but the artist chose 10,000 as a symbolic number. You mentioned the artist before. Who was she? Her name was, is, Mirania. I'm hoping we might meet her in person once we've had a look around. She's an off-worlder, which made her neutral. Neutral in the war, you mean? asked Charlie. Precisely. Orle is an inward-looking world. The Southland and the Northern States had been fighting for as long as anyone remembers. The doctor sighed. Left unchecked, Orle's two continents would have destroyed each other. Then in an uncharacteristic outbreak of common sense, soon after their most devastating war broke out, the generals on both sides declared a truce, which became a lasting peace. Shortly afterwards, Mirania, who'd been living on Orle for a while, asked to convert an old troop carrier to become the Hall of the Ten Thousand, her greatest work. The generals agreed. They passed a statue showing a soldier mid-fall, one arm outstretched, his body twisting in the air. It was a remarkable, if grim, sculpture. So this is a war memorial? Plenty of memorials had gone up after the Great War, but nothing like this. Yes, and a symbol. It only takes a few good people in the right places to end a war. Visitors come from all over the galaxy to view the Ten Thousand, to remind themselves of that. Charlie looked up. The lights were out overhead. So there haven't been any more wars on Orle? The peace has lasted half a century. Many more than 10,000 lives have been saved by Morania's work. Charlie thought the next statue was missing. Then she looked down. In the dim light, she hadn't seen the soldier lying on the ground. He faced away from them, propped up on one elbow, caught in the act of getting up. The figure had been sculpted without a helmet. Though she could only see the back of the head, Charlie was sure it was a young man. He seemed too small for the great armoured suit. She looked up. The night caretaker was approaching. 
If you've seen enough, it's best you leave now. I've got repairs to do. He held a length of red rope in his hands. Of course, said the doctor. Now she looked, Charlie saw how the rope barrier was worn and frayed here. The doctor held up a hand. Before we go, any chance of meeting Morania herself? I'm a great admirer of her work. I'm afraid that won't be possible. Ah, yes, it's night, the doctor nodded. Of course. How about we come back first thing in the morning? Unfortunately, the artist is in seclusion in her studio, the caretaker said firmly. Working on something new? The doctor sounded puzzled. I thought the Hall of the Ten Thousand was her greatest and final piece. The artist is marking the 50th anniversary of the war with an even more important work. Ah, the doctor's hand and gaze strayed to the frayed rope. A shame her existing work is in need of repair. What matters is the art. The caretaker sounded like he was quoting someone. Of course. Well, we'd best leave her to get on with it then, hadn't we? Thanks again, the doctor turned to go. As Charlie followed on, she whispered, Given this place isn't exactly in a tip-top state, who's going to pay for the new work? An excellent question. The doctor looked up at the missing light in the ceiling high above. The Hall of the Ten Thousand is paid for by the two nations of Orle, but you're right. It's in a distinctly shabby condition. Maybe she has a new patron, said Charlie. Maybe... The doctor sounded uncertain. It's just a shame we can't meet her. The doctor grinned. We can't meet her now, no. But we do have a time machine. How about we go and meet her then? This time the hall was brightly lit. When Charlie stepped out of the TARDIS, she saw fewer statues in place, though they stood on bright new decking. This place is huge. How will we find Morania? She asked as the doctor joined her. Let's try heading in the direction the caretaker came from. Though the display was still under construction, the statues looked the same, perfect and golden. Charlie wondered if they were solid gold all the way through. She was about to ask when the doctor held up a hand. She stopped and followed his gaze. Ahead, two men in blue overalls were shifting a recumbent golden form into place. The Doctor and Charlie ducked behind the nearest statue and watched in silence as the sculpture of the soldier was moved into position. When they were done, the men straightened and walked off without a word. Those men, whispered Charlie, they look awfully familiar. The Doctor nodded. Not to mention bearing a startling resemblance to the night caretaker who'll be working here in 50 years' time. Hmm. Where are you going, Charlie? I want a closer look. She crept forward to the statue of the soldier depicted in the act of getting up. When she walked round the front, she saw he was indeed young. Just a boy, really. She crouched down, then jumped back, stifling a scream. What is it? The doctor appeared by her side. His eyes, Doctor, his eyes, she gulped. They're alive. He's alive. She made herself look again to be sure. Was it just a reflection? No. There was a hint of movement, 
and at the same time a fleeting but unmistakable sense of connection. Someone or something was alive in there, alive and in terrible pain. Doctor, what is this? Nothing good. Nothing good at all. We need to find out what's really going on here. He reached down to help her up. But first we need to avoid getting caught. As he pulled her into a run, Charlie glimpsed a figure in blue heading towards them. She let the doctor lead the way, jinking between the statues, using them as cover. Part of her was terrified they would come to life. A familiar male voice called out, I can't see them. Then a woman's voice up ahead demanded, Just what is going on? The doctor skidded to a halt and dropped behind a kneeling statue of a suited soldier reloading his gun. Look over there, he whispered. Charlie followed his gaze. They'd crossed the width of the hall. A young woman stood in a brightly lit doorway in the far wall, looking vexed. She shook her head and called, All right, I'm coming out. She walked off towards the pair of caretakers. Shall we? whispered the doctor. Then without waiting for a reply, he darted ahead, keeping low towards the lit doorway. Charlie followed on, head down. The room didn't look like an artist's studio, more like a cross between a laboratory and some sort of control centre, with all sorts of odd equipment on benches, a paper-strewn desk with a complicated-looking control console, and above it, a large view screen. The screen was divided into two, showing a man and a woman, both wearing military uniforms and grave expressions. Their extensive braid and medals implied high rank, though the uniforms differed in colour and design. The man's showed the bisected circle, the woman's had the triangular design on it. The images were frozen, the woman's mouth half open. Looking down again, Charlie saw something unexpected. A large framed photograph in pride of place on the cluttered desk. It showed a young man and woman somewhere sunny and bright, holding hands and smiling. They looked happy and carefree. The young woman could well have been the person they just saw in the doorway, presumably Morania. Replace his grin with a faint scowl and his casual suit with a blue jumpsuit and the young man would be the spitting image of the caretaker, or rather caretakers. Charlie looked at the doctor. I don't understand. Unfortunately, I'm pretty sure I do. They look like they loved each other very much, don't they? Yes. Why do you say loved? Morania lost her husband in an earlier war on Orle. The doctor's tone was grim. You know, some of this equipment could be used for cybernetics. Making robots, specifically. Charlie realised what the doctor was implying. So the caretakers are robots, made to look like her late husband? I think so. An early work, a synthesis of art and technology, recreating her lost love. But why? Quick, she's coming back. They ducked behind the nearest workbench. From here they could see both the screen and the artist's desk. Morania came back in, shaking her head. Then she took a deep breath and flicked a switch on her desk console. The frozen images sprang back into life. How dare you cut me off, said the female general, at the same time as the male one demanded, what is going on? Morania held up a hand. As I was saying, you brought this on yourselves. How could you ever? 
the artist silenced the male general with an upraised hand. You broke the rules, both of you. You were happy enough to use off-world tech to gain an advantage, despite all the treaties forbidding it, weren't you? Once our spies reported that the Southlanders had commissioned the combat suits from you, what else could we do but get hold of some for ourselves? said the female general icily. The male general, the Southlander, dismissed the accusation with an unconvincing puh. Charlie glanced at the doctor and whispered, Combat suits? But Morania continued, her voice sharp. You could have stopped the violence there and then. That was the only reason Vaniel agreed to sell his work to you. Once you both had this tech, you would see the futility of using it. It was a deterrent. You'd already broken your own rules by developing your cloned super-soldiers, and we thought, foolishly, that whilst one side might be callous enough to employ a suit that kept these born-to-die boys alive, no matter what, if both sides had them, you'd be on equal footing, and you'd see how pointless it was to keep fighting. Beside her, the doctor murmured, Oh no, she didn't. In the face of the general's silence, Morania said, It seems we were wrong. She crossed her arms, then uncrossed them again, hands flapping. Vaniel died trying to perfect your wretched suits. Yet you gave up your art to continue his work, observed the northern general with a raised eyebrow. Yes, to complete it. To make you see how futile war is. No one ever wins and everyone suffers. She was shouting now. As the ten thousand are suffering, said the northern general, thanks to the gas you unleashed. Charlie's heart turned to stone in her chest. Morania bowed her head for a moment, then raised it defiantly. Yes, I have done a terrible thing by condemning those in the suits to a living death. But they will be the last. The fighting must stop. And now those poor boys you created to fight for you will become the key to peace. Charlie fought off the image of living eyes frozen in a golden face. Doctor, this is awful, she whispered. The statues, they're alive. We have to go back and stop this. We can't. His voice was desolate. Morania was speaking again. Too late for them. And you will pay the amount I ask to keep the installation running and free to all visitors in perpetuity. But the fighting has bankrupted us. The female general shook her head. Further proof how pointless war is. If you don't pay, or if you thwart my work in any way, I'll make sure both of your nation's citizens find out the truth about the leaders who've put them through this. How you used forbidden off-world tech and cloned children to perpetuate the conflict. She smiled nastily. Then you'll be fighting off your own citizens. They'll be very angry with nothing left to lose. Doctor, she's insane, hissed Charlie. Yes, he said sadly. It appears she is. While the generals blustered on, Morania stood back, knowing she had won. We should go, the doctor said. Charlie nodded, and they edged out, away from the crazy artist. After peering both ways to check for caretakers, the doctor led her back through the statues towards the TARDIS. 
Tell me we're going to go back and stop this. Charlie felt like she might be sick at any moment. Tell me we're going to save all these poor souls. I wish we could. But however abominable Morania's actions are, they have saved many thousands of lives. To undo this work now, he shook his head. We can't. We just can't. Charlie heard the anguish in his tone and knew better than to argue. So what are we going to do? We're going to stop things getting any worse. The hall was dark again, the walkways tarnished, the ropes frayed. Keeping his torch beam low, the doctor stepped over the nearest rope barrier. Charlie followed, but unwilling to look too closely, now she knew what the statues really were, soon found herself falling behind. She realised she had lost sight of the doctor's torch. Who are you? She froze at the voice behind her and turned slowly to see one of the caretakers looking at her, his head on one side, his expression disapproving. This must be the one they hadn't met yet. We're... she began, then realised she had no idea where the doctor was now. I mean, I... We're good friends of the artist. The caretaker whirled round to face the doctor, who'd circled back and now stood right behind him. And you love her very much, don't you? he said. We owe the artist everything. Though the caretaker now had his back to her, Charlie doubted she could overcome him, or rather it, but the doctor appeared unconcerned. Indeed you do, given she made you, and we're here to see her. We came last night, but missed her somehow. The artist is in seclusion in her studio. This might be a different caretaker, but it sounded just like the first one. Yes, said the doctor slowly, as though speaking to a child. We know she is, but we have an appointment. We're actually here to help her with her new work. It's all arranged. She did not make us aware of this. Ah, probably got distracted. What with being in seclusion in her studio, working hard, he smiled. If you're not sure about us, why not check with her? What was the doctor playing at? He was handing them over to the enemy. But the robot said, I cannot check with her. She is in seclusion in her studio. Ah, I see. That's a tricky one, isn't it? She wants to see us, but you can't ask her about us. Processing. The caretaker's voice took on a flat, mechanical tone. The doctor's, on the other hand, was soft, almost hypnotic. Yes, you must obey her. She wishes to see us, but you cannot confirm this without disobeying her. Processing. The doctor stepped round the frozen figure. It did not respond, just repeated, Processing, in the same even tone. What just happened? asked Charlie as the doctor rejoined her. Morania's lost love must have been the cyber technology expert. She did her best, but the robots she created are pretty simple. Susceptible to logic bombs, it seems. But we still need to keep an eye out for the other one. I will but it would be good to know what the plan actually is. Yes, the doctor looked thoughtful. It would, wouldn't it? 
This time Charlie stayed close, even though it meant having to look at the terrible knot statues. She tried not to think about the young men inside, trapped, insane, in pain. When they reached the studio, the door was open. The artist apparently trusted her caretakers and her isolation alone on this ship to keep visitors away. Charlie and the doctor crept up and looked in, one on each side of the doorway. The scene inside was familiar. The artist was talking to a pair of generals, but her hair seen from behind was grey and the two generals were both women this time. The northern one was speaking. Your demands have crippled our nation for too long. She looked and sounded unexpectedly young. Charlie recalled a comment about the Great War, how it had resulted in a lost generation. Yes, I've hamstrung both your nations. Morania's voice was unchanged, firm, driven with an edge of mania. Because if you're too busy trying to feed your people, then you won't go to war, will you? You're wrong. The Southlander had fire in her tone. We will not endure the taunts and aggressions from the North any longer. War is inevitable. No! The artist's voice rose to a scream. War is futile! You never learn! I've had fifty years to build on poor Vaniel's work. My first gas was imperfect and only froze those in combat suits. What I have now! You will only suffer for a moment! She leaned forward, hands on the console. And once you're all dead, there will be no more war! She reached for a lever. No! The doctor rushed in. Charlie, mesmerised and horrified, took a moment to follow. She saw the artist spin round to face the doctor, the generals open-mouthed behind her. Then a hand grabbed her arm. She jerked to a halt and turned, to find herself face to face with a caretaker. You were told to leave last night, it said. Charlie tried to shake off the robot's hand. When its grip only tightened, she said the first thing that came into her head. We did! A moment of confusion showed in the perfect grey eyes. But you have come back. That's right, she nodded, all the while thinking of how the doctor had dealt with the other caretaker. What was that puzzle again? So there are these two guards, she began, searching her memory. Two guards? What two guards? From behind her came the sounds of a scuffle. Uh, like, uh, like you. There are only two of you, aren't there? Yes, but that is not relevant. You cannot... So there are two guards in a room and two doors. One door leads to certain death, the other to freedom. This is not relevant. A soft thud came from behind, but the caretaker held her firm. It is, because it explains why we're here. Hopefully this robot couldn't detect lies. Imagine you are in that room and you need to escape, but you don't know which door's safe, so you have to ask a guard, but you can only ask one question of one of them. She spoke in a rush, but she had the caretaker's full attention, and that was what mattered. Its grip loosened a fraction, she continued. The problem is, you know that one of the guards always lies, and the other one tells the truth, but not which is which. She flashed an uncertain smile. So what do you ask, and which guard do you ask it of? I... The caretaker robot looked down, then up, its gaze clouding. I... Processing. Charlie reached out and peeled the fingers off her arm one by one. The caretaker did not appear to notice. 
as soon as she was free of the robot's grasp, she turned around and froze. Morania sat in a chair in front of her console, facing Charlie. There was no sign of the doctor. Then he straightened from behind the chair, and Charlie saw, with a flush of relief, how the artist's head was lolling. She looked dazed, perhaps a result of that Venusian Aikido he claimed to know. The doctor looked past Charlie at the self-mesmerised caretaker and grinned. Good work, he said, then turned to face the still active viewscreen. The two generals were looking down from it, with expressions combining degrees of surprise, confusion, irritation and curiosity. The young northern general said, Who are you? The doctor. Pleased to meet you both. And however appalling Morania's actions have been, she is right about one thing. War is futile. Is it too much to hope you might see that now? Charlie, approaching, saw the artist shift in her seat, half-conscious despite whatever the doctor had done. Doctor, she hissed. He turned to look, then frowned and said, Excuse me a moment. He darted off to one side, through an open door Charlie hadn't noticed before. The generals glared at Charlie. She smiled nervously at them. Morania groaned. The silence stretched. And you are? said the Southland general eventually. Charlie, I'm with him, and you really should pay attention to what he says. He almost always knows what he's talking about. Here we are. The doctor strode back and knelt next to the groggy artist. He pressed a small tube to her neck. Her fluttering eyelids closed and she slumped back. She'll sleep happily for the next eight hours. He threw the little tube to one side. I suspect she needed something like this to get any rest, poor thing. Poor thing? They looked up to see the Northern General's grim expression. She was about to wipe us all out. Yes, and that won't be happening now. You'll just need to give me a minute, though. He bent over the console, humming to himself. After somewhat less than a minute, during which time the generals stared at Charlie and Charlie stared at the generals, their image was replaced by a three-dimensional projection of a planet with two continents divided by an equatorial sea. Orle, presumably. It was orbited by a necklace of red glowing points. Can you see this, Madam Generals? The doctor asked. Yes, but what... said the Southlander. The Northern General interrupted her. Wait... Those aren't... The doctor cut them off. Not your satellites, no. Neither of yours. They're Morania's. No doubt installed under your noses over a period of years and no doubt loaded with the gas she threatened to use on you. Great work indeed. His tone implied anything but. However, there is an override. His hands danced over the console and a moment later the red points flared bright, then faded. There we go. All harmlessly dispersed into space. He turned his attention to a different part of the console and the view of the general's faces returned. Next, we need to give you both back all that credit, she demanded. It's not as though she had much to spend it on up here. Thank you, said the Southland general, sounding surprised at her own words. Least I can do. What about her? asked the northern general. The doctor paused and straightened. Good question. He looked past Charlie to the frozen caretaker. Mr. Caretaker? The robot looked up, its movements sluggish. 
The artist is unwell, said the doctor. She needs to go down to Orle for treatment. But she is in seclusion in her studio working. Well, she can hardly work like this. We'll keep an eye on things up here while they sort her out. Get her some proper medical attention. Why don't you go and tell your associate to come and give you a hand getting her into the shuttle? You'd best both go to look after her. As the caretaker turned and left, Charlie whispered, And will he, I mean it, do as you ask? I believe so. They're pretty simple constructs, but fiercely loyal to their maker. Think of them as talking Labradors with basic handyman skills. When the caretakers returned, the doctor was still busy at the console. The generals, after he told them sternly he couldn't work with constant interruptions, had relapsed into uneasy silence. As the caretakers wheeled the artist off, unconscious in her chair, he looked up and said, Right, I've programmed the emergency shuttle to come down in your central sea, just off that disputed island. What's it called? Harmony, said the northern general. Concord, said the Southlander at the same time. Hmm, well, that's where she'll land anyway. You'll need to decide what to do about her together. Remember that she would never have done the terrible things she did if she had not been driven mad by the conflict she witnessed and the loss she endured. I hope you can show mercy. I'll be paying attention to whatever you decide. All right, said the Southland General. Agreed, said the Northern General. I'll check back in a while, but first I need to make sure no one ever tries anything like this again. Bye for now the screen went blank. This may take a while, said the doctor. Can you amuse yourself for a bit? I've no intention of going back into the hall until I have to. I don't blame you, but the artist has living quarters here. Morania's living space turned out to be extensive and surprisingly pleasant, with dynamic animal sculptures on shelves and walls decorated with abstract but uplifting paintings in pastel shades. The artist must have created these lovely things long ago, before everything went wrong. Finally, the doctor called her back. Well, Morania's later work is no more. You've, uh, deleted it? Yes, every blueprint, every formula, every last note and diagram. Charlie pointed out of the door without looking. What about them? Ah, yes, the ten thousand. His face fell. It's too late for them, isn't it? Yes. Though, she was just starting out. The process wasn't perfect. In fact, I suspect she didn't mean them to survive at all. Charlie wasn't sure if that made it better or worse. But they're still out there, insane and trapped forever. Perhaps not all of them. The doctor looked thoughtful. For soldiers not wearing full armour, the gas's effects were incomplete, perhaps reversible. The sleeping soldier, he wasn't wearing his helmet. Precisely, said the doctor. Perhaps he at least can be revived. From the artist's notes, I'd say the only way would be a brief exposure to a vacuum. We'd have to vent the entire hall, then repressurize it. I could set things going, but it's a huge space. It will take a while. We'd have to make a hasty exit to avoid suffocating, then leave him to wake up once the atmosphere has been automatically restored. 
Charlie wasn't sure the doctor was telling her everything. She considered demanding he explain fully, but then decided that, for once, she might be happier not knowing. Like all the soldiers who became the 10,000, he never had a name. His designation, when he'd flopped from his birthing vat to be encased in armour and sent into the field, had been Technician CAV66. For the first few years of his accelerated life, he knew only war. For the last 50 years, he had known only pain. The physical pain of being melded to his suit, the mental pain of reliving his battles, and the emotional pain of being frozen but conscious. During lucid moments, he had overheard visitors to the Hall of the 10,000 talking about this great artwork. He knew where he was and what he was and what he had become. But lucid moments were rare, amidst the pain and madness. Finally, he finished the movement begun half a century before and pushed himself upright. He swayed, then staggered forward, past comrades and enemies, equally doomed in their eternal imprisonment. When he reached the artist's studio, technician CAV66 ran stiff, aching hands over the desk console. This was once a warship, and buried deep were the commands he needed. He called up an option the doctor did not mention to Charlie, the last-ditch action designed to stop the ship falling into enemy hands. It was the only thing he could do for his fellow soldiers, who'd suffered for too long. He couldn't save them, but he could put an end to their ordeal. The soldiers stepped back as the countdown began. <laughs> 